Okay, got it. Ready? <clears throat> You're listening to Paul Elmore. Paul Elmore. <laughs> Shh. It's been a fun week for me. I have a 19-year-old son, and um, about a year ago, he was real clear, and he says, Dad, I want to get a motorcycle someday. He's 19. And a good father says, yes, and I, that's, that's okay. You can get a motorcycle. <sighs> he bought his motorcycle last night. I'm scared. It's... He's taken the class on Saturday. He's doing it all right. He's made him go find out what the insurance is on a motorcycle. Uh, I'm a little jealous because I'd like to ride a motorcycle. I just I have a wife, and she won't let me. So I defer to her gladly because I would probably kill myself on it. So, But he bought a motorcycle, and so we're entering into that fun territory of not sleeping again when our kids leave the house. There was a season, in fact, last July was a really good season for us and our family because my daughter got into a um, car accident. Someone rear-ended her on the way home from work. Um, so she calls us in that panic of, Dad, crying, someone hit me. Where are you? We'll come. Took care of that. Um, about four or five weeks later, my son Sam, with our other car that was running at the time, he spun out wiped out the front end of it um, on a curb and a shrub. Got that call, Dad, I crashed the car. Okay, great. My daughter replaced her car, and about four weeks into owning that thing, she's coming home from church group at about 10 o'clock at night, phone rings. Are, get that knot in your stomach as soon as the phone starts ringing. Except it wasn't our daughter, it was some lady we didn't know saying, your daughter's been in a car accident. Great. Deer jumped out in front of her, took out the front end of her car that she had just replaced it with. So it's like, so we can talk about PTSD tonight. We can talk about when the phone rings and your kids are out driving and now they got a motorcycle to contend with. So that's been my last couple days. It's been really, really fun. Um, he's a good kid. He's going to drive it well and responsibly. I just can't control the other 40,000 drivers that are around him every day on his way back and forth to work. So... This whole control thing that we'd like to get dialed in, that would be great. If you see anyone driving on on a red, really fast motorcycle, assume that it's my son and be very nice to them, okay? Just don't run into him. And if he's speeding, call me, okay? So you can, you can text me and let me know and I'll, I'll ream him when he gets home. Um, I wanted to take a minute tonight and actually ask, answer a question that was sent to me um, this week on the topic of our conversation last week, which was what to do when the church hurts you, what to do when faith causes some pain in your life. Um, and I got an email that someone sent me with a very, very good and detailed question. So I want to read a portion of the email and kind of go through it in the four main areas. And I would like to actually dialogue on some of this and hear your response and what you would say to this person, because I want them I want, I want them to hear, whether they're here tonight or on the podcast, um, what other people's perspective might be. Because hearing it just from one person is, is good, but when they can hear it from multiple voices, um, even if you have questions around it or concerns around it, um, it would be good for us to work through that together as a group. So here's, here's what um, she writes. I can put that. That's what she writes in the email. 
Paul. While I can appreciate there are two sides in a church-slash-congregation relationship, and each side has responsibility, is that really accurate in an abusive church? If a pastor is emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually abusive, a church member might not even be aware of it or be told over and over again the problem is that member's fault and not anyone else's. Therefore, if one is being psychologically and spiritually abused, the first question is, how can it be that person's responsibility? I talked last week about both people have some responsibility in that. Number two, how does someone realize their church is abusive so they can get out? Number three, is it actually okay to leave that church? Good question. And then four, oops, how does someone heal from that, especially if that is their first and or only church experience? Aren't those good questions? Those are very, very poignant questions. Is it okay that that person is even asking those questions? What would you, what would you want them to hear? Yes. Okay. Those are good questions. I was so proud and so glad that they had asked those. So let's go back and... Um, take these apart real quick. So number one, how can it be that person's responsibility if someone is being psychologically and spiritually abused? How can it be the recipient of that abuse? How can it be their responsibility if two people are always responsible in a relationship? Thoughts on that? What would you say? Okay, let's start the conversation. Real loud, please. So there's a possibility that it's your perspective based on past experiences. That's good. That's within the realm of possibility. That's absolutely true. Absolutely true. What else? What would you say to this person? How can it, can it be that person's responsibility? More specifically, what would be their responsibility? Let's assume that they are. That's accurate. That someone is actually being psychologically and spiritually abused. That's a true statement. It's, a, it's an objective truth. And... What responsibility does that person who's being abused have? I would say the responsibility of that individual only becomes their own once they're aware of the situation. Because if you're in a situation, you're not aware that it's an abusive situation, how can you chant that it wasn't? All right. So it requires a, a level of knowledge and awareness first. And then, well, it actually goes on to the next questions. So before that, what responsibility does that person have? Okay, before that, you don't have responsibility. Would you, how many of you agree or disagree? I give you both answers. So you've raised your hands. I don't know what the answer is actually. So <laughs> how many would agree that there's a level of awareness necessary before responsibility takes place? How many would say, nope, they're still responsible? Oh, we have some people. Okay. So that might be an interesting conversation real quick. Um, first group. Pick a representative and give me the, why is it not there? You kind of laid it out, but give me one more thought on there's not responsibility until there's awareness. Okay, this is, uh, you know, it says that a, a child comes to a certain age of responsibility, so they have to have some kind of awareness okay. before you can uh, fault them as sin. All right. So we go kind of to the age of accountability concept. That's good. You want to try to go for the, they're still responsible. Okay. I think it has to be 
oh, are we aware enough to do anything about it? So the person in the second group there kind of jumped to the first group <laughs> in regards to actions. Just giving you a hard time. <laughs> Thanks for letting me pick on Andy. So you want to try it, Wendy? Go for it. Okay. Oh. Say that again. It's not their responsibility for what? Okay. It's not their response. They're not responsible for the abuse, but they are responsible to question. How many would say that that feels like a very good approach? Okay. Kaylee, you want to go for it? Okay. Right. Perfect. You guys are incredibly smart. I'm so glad to hear you saying this. I would argue that a person who is receiving abuse, whether it's within the context of a church, whether it's in the context of a relationship, a marital relationship, a dating relationship, a parental child relationship, um, when you're in that level of either unawareness or lack of power, you, aren't, you are not responsible for the abuse. But once you either become aware or you become empowered enough, you have a responsibility to do something about that. Does that sound appropriate? Okay. I would agree. I would say that that is very good knowledge and advice. So what would you say to someone who has been taught for years, if you say anything, you will get in trouble. You'll be responsible, there's that word, for me getting in trouble. We can put that into an abusive situation between a, a, an adult and a child. If you tell, if you say anything, I'm going to get in trouble and that is your fault. Isn't that true? If they tattle, they're going to get in trouble. You want to give it a shot again, Kayla? Right. Yes. This is one of the most powerful messages that keep both children and adults stuck, which is if I tell, if I disclose, if I say something, if I break someone's promise, I made a promise to someone as a little kid, and now as an adult, I'm, I'm not supposed to break that promise. So you're like, we're told as kids all the time, even as adults, you're never supposed to break promises, right? And if you hold on to those, then you are somehow bad. That thinking can get really, really cloudy for individuals. Yes. As loud as you can. Yeah. Yeah.
Ja. Ja. Okay. Okay. Would that person be morally wrong to disclose that they have been hurt, again, by an individual, by a, a partner, by a church? Would they be morally wrong to break that promise? No. As loud as you can. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of trusting in God, they give more power to their abuser and actually take their word as gospel or scripture or, or truth. And it would be appropriate to even challenge that and say, we're going to put God's law, God's word over ours or someone else. This issue right here is what I spend a lot of time with individuals, having them just simply tell their story for the very first time. Because for some individuals, that is terrifying. They've never, ever, ever been allowed to say things out loud to, to another adult human being because if they did they're breaking family rules they're breaking spiritual rules they're breaking rules that they've actually been told if you go against us you are in danger of going to hell that is a real mentality that individuals I've worked with have to sit with and so breaking that rule literally is life and death not just physical life and death but eternal life and death this is, this is the power that, that people can get stuck in by someone who is being psychologically or spiritually abusive. And I want, I want you to hear right now, because I'm assuming that there isn't just one person who's asking this question, that when someone puts you into that place of having to hold a secret um, and keeping you from disclosing truth in an appropriate manner, that person is asking something of you which is wrong on their part, not yours. And being able to disclose that and say that and tell that would actually be the healthiest, most appropriate thing to do. It's going to be terrifying the very first time. Terrifying. But it is also appropriate. We want children, when they're being abused, to find another safe adult and to disclose to them, I'm being hurt and, and I need help. Every healthy adult would go, yes, we're here. That's why there's mandatory reporting laws for counselors, for teachers, for pastors, for anyone in the helping possess, uh, professions. We are supposed to tell those things. So I want that to be really, really clear. They are not responsible for the abuse. So in that kind of thing I talked about last week with two people who have a responsibility in a relationship, they are not responsible for the abuse. They are responsible once they gain information and strength and a safe context to then say, I'm no longer going to hold on to the secret. Is that an appropriate responsibility in that relationship? This, what this person's doing is wrong, and I will not hold their secret anymore. Does that seem appropriate? Does anyone have questions about that approach? Or Okay, I want, I want to be really, really clear on that. Uh, number two, 
How does someone realize their church is abusive so they can get out? Fantastic question. If it's the only thing you've ever known, how do you know? You don't have anything to compare it to. What would you say to this person? How would you answer that question? How do you know if this is abusive or not? It's a good question, isn't it? I mean, it's tough. Yeah. Bouncing it off an outsider. That's a very good idea. And if the church says, if someone's not a member of our church, you probably shouldn't be talking to them because they don't have the understanding that we have. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Ben, let me ask you real quick if I can. You're a pastor at this church, right? Yes. One of them. What would you say to someone who is either questioning you and your authority as a pastor or questioning, wants to go outside of this church congregation to check up on you, to kind of vet you or to find out if what you are saying is true? What would you say to their questioning? I'm sorry, I missed that. Could you say that again? It was kind of muffled. You would encourage them to do that. Yeah. And I would also say that even if you're inaccurate, like, don't be anyone to talk to them about it. Have a conversation. I would say just do that because it's not going to be too much better. Yeah. And if you don't talk to me, I'll keep talking to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the ability to question, the ability to 
put yourself under the microscope. I actually tell this to my clients all the time. It is, you're sitting with me, but you're, you're just hearing one opinion, one perspective. You're, wel you're welcome to take anything I say in here or any of our conversations and go talk to another counselor. See what they say. You're welcome to check up on me. My, my word's not gospel here. You are, welcome, you are welcome to ask as many questions as you can as possible. And healthy pastors, healthy churches, invite that. They want you to think for yourself. They don't want to tell you exactly what to think. So that is one of the signs. Okay? But there's still another problem, because if you're in the midst of that and you don't have anyone to ask the questions of, or you don't even know you're allowed to ask questions, number one, the people who are probably in that church aren't even listening to this right now because this is in a whole other congregation that encourages that. So well, there's a, another kind of second step to this. But Mary, what were you going to say? Wow. Yeah. 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 Yeah, if you would leave that church, you would almost be leaving God. If you disagree with the pastor, you're disagreeing with God. Because pastor has that authority somehow anointed by God. Again, that mentality is dangerous. Now, pastors, I believe, have certain authority. I want, to, I want you to hear that very, very clearly. But it is not a tyrannical authority. It's actually a humble authority. It's a servant mentality. Would you agree with that? Pastors are supposed to lead through servanthood, not through domination. That, again, I think can be very, very clearly backed up biblically and scripturally. There's one other kind of approach that's important to this, though, because if someone is still in that church and they're not aware of it, I'll go back to the question of if you're in an abusive relationship, again, let's say a husband and wife, how does someone realize this relationship is abusive and dangerous? What's kind of the first things that happen where someone starts to go... I'm not so sure, but something might not be right in my relationship. How do they find that out? Go for it. Seems to me like anytime anybody's trying to exercise some kind of control over someone else, like deciding to do for them and telling them how they should live in any way is an abusive situation. Okay. Yep. 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 Dictating. Yeah. Yeah. Back to my question, though. If someone's in an abusive relationship, how, how do they first come to knowledge or realization or understanding that it might actually be abusive? Ah. Someone else actually speaks into their life. That is absolutely one way that can happen. I'm concerned about you. I haven't seen you in six months. Where have you been? What's going on? Something like that. Way in the back, real loud.
Got it. Back to the question, though. How does someone find out? Yeah. There you go. Experience that brings you personal awareness. In the, in the case of my daughter, it was her going to her boyfriend. Yeah. Um, she put up with a lot. Yeah. Like, A, her relationship with her boss was dark. Yeah. And, and she had a small infant. Yeah. Child, yeah. Usually takes an extreme experience. Yeah. Usually takes an extreme experience that goes against our humanity. The other primary way is, is you look at examples of other people. So it's like, I'm married and I'm terrified all the time. I go home. You're married and you actually like your husband. That, that doesn't make sense to me. Doesn't, doesn't, your marriage should be the same as mine, isn't it? And they start to actually ask natural questions. First it's internal questions, but then it shows up as external questions. And when you actually offer a perspective of, here's what a healthy church can look like, that, that usually starts to plant those seeds of those questions that are already there. And, and we are able to minister or speak into those people who are terrified and scared, whether, again, it's a personal relationship in a, in a marriage or in a family or in a church. It's usually through example that someone goes, wait a second, this isn't your experience over here, but it is mine. I want, you, I want what you got. Where do I sign up for that? Then they have to overcome the other things of how do I get out? So even is it okay to get out? They have to actually wrestle with that concept right there. So let me ask the question. If you've been to that church that has all the authority and the pastors are saying my word is close to what God says, are they allowed to leave that church if it feels and is actually abusive. Not without, the approval. Not without whose approval? Oh, she just put a caveat on it. That, that threw a wrench in it. What do you mean by that real fast? Got it. Is that, I'm actually not sure of your answer right there. Is that an actual, that's the step someone should take? Oh, no, no. Okay. That's, I, that's what it would be like if they were in that. That's what I'm hearing. Thank you very much. I just wanted to double check. <laughs> just wanted to double check. Thank you very much. When you ask questions, you're never quite sure what you're going to get back. The example she just gave is, that is the thinking of the person's mentality. I want to get out of this church. I have to submit again to these elders and these pastors. And if they don't give me permission, then I'm not allowed to get out. That is, again, common thinking. That is inaccurate thinking. Is that okay? Okay, Whew. good. It's got some hands here. I'll come back to you in just a second. Yes. Yeah, give people the microphone. Probably that's a good idea. We can hear you. Okay, I know. Hello, hello, I'm talking into two microphones. Hello, is this microphone on? 
Hello, can I grab this one? Hello, there it goes, okay. Um, I'll come down here first real fast. Is it okay to get out? I think it's always okay to get out of an abusive relationship. Why? Because I think abuse is inherently a bad thing. Okay. There's <laughs> Let's close in prayer right there. Um, yes, abuse is inherently a bad thing. It's okay to get out. It's okay to leave a church. Okay, back to Ben. Ben, if someone is actually being abused at this church, what would you say to them about staying? Which is a tricky just, question to ask. Just so, I'm, so we're clear, isn't it, is it about the leadership? Is it about the church? Leadership. When we say that the church, it can get a little tricky because yes. we are the church. So. I know. Um, I get it. So if you're talking about leadership, in a, if someone is being abused by leadership in the yes. church, is that the question? Yes. Is it okay for them to get out? Yes. Is that okay for them to go to a different church? Absolutely. Um, would, I, would I encourage them to, to possibly sit in the process and say, hey, can we actually see this person be held accountable to the abuse so that restoration can happen within the context of the hurt? Oh. To me, that's going to be more redemptive for the person and actually potentially be actually more transformative for them. He just used the word that is wonderful to hear, even within a church context. What was the magic word that I'm all excited about? Okay, redemption. Well, that's good. That's not the word I was thinking of, though. Restoration. restoration. That's the second word. Wow, there's Account all sorts of good words. That's not the word I'm thinking of. Accountability. There you go. <laughs> Pastors are accountable. Yes? Yes. Believers are accountable, too. For, yes? And so the ability for a pastor to submit themselves to accountability says what about the pastor? He's, he's, there you go. That's the word. He's humble. He's willing to be challenged and have his, his opinion, his thoughts, his perspectives, his behavior put before others and be held accountable. And if a pastor chooses not to do that, what do you do then? I'm pointing at Ben, but anyone else can answer that question. What, what do you do then? We can do it a, even as a group as well, and we'll even broaden it out to, um, again, because I'm, gonna, I'm making the connection between human relationships and relationships within the body of Christ are very similar. The rules and the approaches are very similar. So a husband or a wife who is abusive and they choose not to be held accountable, what do you do then? Well, I, I think the Bible gives us an outline of what to do is you go and you talk to the person. Oh, and if they say fantastic. no, then you yes. take a yes. buddy with you. And if they still yes. say no, yes. then you yes. leave. Yes. Or you, you approach a group and, and see if you can get the person removed. But, yes. I mean, the Bible is pretty clear about that in Matthew. Yes. I, will, I will put one addendum on that. And it's always around the area of safety. If, it doesn't, if it's not safe to actually approach that person alone, always go with somebody else. So you kind of jump stage one and go to stage two, but it's still following that. I have concerns and I'm here to test how humble, how willing you are to be challenged in this. 
as a husband, my wife is allowed to come up to me anytime and say, I have some concerns about what you're doing. And as a husband, it's like, I, I will listen. I will truly want to understand. A pastor, a church body, a leadership should also humble themselves to that accountability. Always. Always. Chelsea will take the mic. Fantastic. So is it okay to get out? Yes. According to Sonia in the front here, yes, it is always okay to get out. So then how does someone heal from that, especially if a church, if that is their first and or only church experience? What in the world do you say to them then? Okay. We're doing the runaround here. See, this is why we don't pass the mic, because I get a lot more mileage done and, well, I don't want to I lose think weight. as, once they are out and they're safe as the body of Christ, we represent another experience for them. And so we get to remake, they have to be willing to enter into another experience where they could be hurt. And so it takes trust and vulnerability, but I think that we, they have to relive that church experience with people that are safe in community that can say, I'm sorry that that happened and we're not like that and we can't do anything except live that out for you. Will you be patient? When you've, when you've been wounded experientially, you have to heal experientially. They have to try again. Is that what you're saying, Kayla? Mm -hmm. Just add something to what she's saying. To have people acknowledge that you were he he wounded and that your wounds are real. What does that do, Mary? What does that, when, that, when someone says, I believe you? That just, that kind of balances your thinking and verifies that what you experienced is real. Yeah. Validation is unbelievably important to this process, isn't it? The thing I hear so much is, I'm afraid that I'm crazy. That's the word I hear a lot of, I'm not sure this happened to me. I'm not sure what is actually true or real. And, and I'm, I feel crazy about this. And to have other be, people say, what you went through was screwed up and messed up. That is almost more redemptive than, than anything. It's just like, okay, it's not me. It's, it's someone else. I have an answer to this question because this is huge. How does someone heal from that experience, especially if that is their only or first church experience? That's an incredibly important um, question, and it is it's a complex question. But here's the answer. We're not going to just talk about it theoretically. We're actually going to go through it experientially. Right now, around the room here, there are ten signs hanging up. Ten signs. I'm going to ask you to stand up and take five minutes and, and try to find all ten signs that are hanging up. You're going to read them, and you're going to um, see which of those signs resonates the most with you, kind of a thinking process. So take your time. See if you can find the signs. And um, um, again, tour all around. Read them all. And then when you find the sign that resonates with you, kind of just plant yourself there. Kind of land there if you wouldn't mind. Thank you very much. Uh, maybe. Uh, I'm not sure. You get to run now. That's nice. I like that. Nice to see you. Did you get a new phone? 
find the signs, read them, which sign is most accurate for kind of the thinking process for you. Again, it might just, it's in the moment. It might not be forever, but kind of in this moment. Which one would land the closest to you? Once you find it, kind of just hover around that sign until everyone finds a place to land. Signs all around the room. Find your sign. Here's your sign. You're not sure if you should be going clockwise or counterclockwise. Are you swimming upstream or is everyone else swimming upstream? <laughs> Which sign, when you kind of find a sign, land on it? There's big signs all over the room. Find them. Hey. Kind of a choosing not to walk, sir, moment. <laughs> okay. I like it. That's a movie reference, choosing not to walk. You know what that's from? Dead Poet Society. Dead Poet Society. Everyone got a sign? Pick a sign. We're getting closer. I can't even remember what the signs are. All right. <laughs> Got some people who are still hovering. We got... And it's okay. If you don't have a sign yet, it's okay. You can choose to sit right here in the middle if you need to. We've got, got some close ones. All right. Very nice. Very nice. Very good. All right. Okay. Um, let's start with, and again, quantity doesn't matter, I'm curious, but this sign here says what? This sign says, God doesn't care. That's one person. This sign here says what? The world is a dangerous place. Be careful. This sign back here says? Someone is going to hurt me again. This sign here says? It's foolish to trust anybody. Yeah, it's really foolish to trust anybody. What are you thinking? How about this one? I will always be alone. Wow, these are powerful signs. This one here? It would just be better if I wasn't even here. Man, this one? Life is hard. Get used to it. Yeah. How many were torn between signs, by the way? You, hard to pick one. How about here? Never inconvenience, Never inconvenience anybody. This one here? 
Why try anymore? Here? Don't do anything to get noticed. Be invisible as much as you can. Be invisible as much as you can. What you guys are noticing, I'm going to go through this real quick. If you just grab some seats right just near where you are so you don't have to stand up the whole time and I'm just going to shout and we'll do this because we're not quite done yet. Um, when we are hurting, when our world is painful, when we've experienced something like a bad church experience, we tend to see only the things that confirm our pre-existing negative beliefs. That's why as a counselor, I've spent so much time in this series examining what are the beliefs you are bringing into your experience. Does that make sense? It's not actually the experiences themselves which cause the harm as much as it is the belief system that you already have in place because we tend to filter out or see what we want to see based upon that pre-existing belief system. It's actually called confirmation bias. I've used that before in here. We filter out things that actually challenge our belief system, and we only let in the things that confirm it. And so you guys have picked the signs that confirm, for whatever reason, whatever you're at right now, it kind of resonates with you in that way because that belief system's already there. That happens because of something in our brain God built called the reticular activating system. Whoop. Reticular activating system. It's called the RAS. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. It's a bundle of nerves on the bottom of our, on the top of our brain stem. It is this portion right here. So our brains actually have lots and lots and lots of information coming into it all the time, and we can't deal with it. Because right now, if I were to ask you, what does your left big toe feel? All of you are going to go, oh, I was just thinking about that. My left big toe is actually feeling kind of warm right now. You just don't care. There's so much information coming in right now. God built a way for us to filter it out. So we got stuff coming in from our eyeballs here. We got stuff coming in from our ears or from our, our senses, our sense of touch and temperature and all those things. And it has to go through this filter here, the reticular activating system, which says this is important. And for many of us, our reticular activating system is actually trained, trained to find dangerous situations so we can avoid them. It's a survival mechanism. It's, it's, it's what keeps us alive. But it also helps keep us stuck sometimes. And so our reticular activating system is affected and shaped by a really bad church experience. I've only tried this whole God thing one time, and man, it didn't go good because I lost three, six, seven, ten years of my life feeling worse than I've ever felt in my life. And I'm not sure I want to go back to any kind of church at all because I'm going to get hurt again. Your reticular activating system is doing exactly what it's designed to do, which is danger, danger, Will Robbins, danger. If you believe that struggle, pain, and discouragement are the prominent options in your life, you'll tend to see those options much more frequently. You're actually more aware of them. So here's the reality. Here's what's a little bit interesting. And I think some of you probably saw it, but I'm not sure. I know one for sure. There's actually 20 notes in this room. There's 20 notes that have things written on it. Some of them are easier to see 
and I actually kind of set you up for that. How many of you saw me hanging these things up when you first came in? So when I said there's notes around the room, how many of you looked to, there's, there's the notes, I can see them hanging right there. I kind of, I kind of preloaded your reticular activating system saying, these are the notes that I want you to look at. There's actually 20 notes in this room. Can you find the other 10? And when you find them, someone grab them. Now, they're not quite as obvious. You can, you can actually unstick it, hang on to it, and see if we can find the next 10 notes. And when you find it, it's kind of like Charlie in the Chocolate Factory and the Golden Ticket. I found one, I found one. Look around the room, see if you can find the other notes. We got one already. Well done, well done. When you find it, you can just come on, sit back in your regular seats here. We got one. When you find another one, speak out. They aren't hidden in books. They're not going to be hidden under pews. They're going to be findable. I can't reach it. That one. Oh, very nice, Kayla. Okay. <laughs> Who the heck put one up there? <laughs> Someone just said this isn't fun. Yes, it is. Kids do this all the time at Easter. They actually enjoy this. Again, I got two. got three. Four. Five. Okay, hang on to them. Just hang on to them. Hang on to it and have a seat. There are more notes. There's nothing on me. Nothing on my feet. Nothing up my sleeves. Hey, we got one more. Six. Hey, we got seven. 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 Three more, apparently. Seven. If you have one, raise your hand so I can just do a quick count again. So we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven still. Three more. See if you can find it. Three more. Now I can actually genuinely say I don't know where they are because I didn't hide them. <laughs> I actually didn't see that one up there, which is... They are in this room. They're not out on the foyer. They're not, the they're not in the balcony. Are they in the balcony? Okay, they're not in the balcony. They're not. Like, you don't have to. Again, you don't have to open books or flip to the right page in a hymnal. You, they are visible. We might not actually find them all, and someone Sunday morning might find one and go, "What's this note here for? I don't get it." Seven. We have seven owners. Little kids, I'm told, enjoy this, so hopefully this is positive for you guys. <laughs> yep, yep, this is going to mess you guys up and... This leaves you in that gray area of no resolution or conclusion. <clears throat> oh, nope. How does the reticular activating system respond or do what? How does it relate to the palm system? 
how to relate to the Pons system. Now we're into neurobiology. Man, I am not a neuroscientist at all. Um, Right. Yeah. Um, the hippocampus plays into there. The amygdala plays into there as well. All of that kind of plays in. So, again, I'm not. I'm not a neuroscientist. I would not want to venture a guess to to speak into that. So, are we close? All right. If we can't find the last three, then we'll try to make Mitch Mitch find them at the end. Before he goes home, that'll be fun. Come on back, because, kiddo, you did a good job, maybe? I'm not sure. I'm actually going to look around and see if I can find some more. All the interesting ones are found? That was a good one. That was, I didn't even see it. All right. Well, we'll find them later eventually. What does, um, Jason, I think you found the first one. What does yours say, sir? You can learn to be safe again. Now, I'm curious about you, sir, because of all the notes that were planted in the room, you landed on that one. Was that true? Got it. What made you land on that one? I believe, I believe that. You can learn to be safe again. Yeah, I've experienced that. Good, good. How many of you actually saw that note and went past it? Where was that note, by the way? It was on the, the door there. On the door over there in the to kind of right. dark shadows. Yeah. Yep. But you guys saw it and then went past it because either a different note applied even more. Or how many of you said, is this part of the game? I'm not so sure if I'm allowed to stand by this note. What is this actually all about? He didn't say, what's, I mean, give me more rules. I need more boundaries, Paul. Oh, 10. See? Look at that. Look at that. So I might have actually limited your reticular activating system, <laughs> saying these are your only choices, huh? Wow. There are some people who just have a hard time giving up, right, Mary? <laughs> She's just wandering, enjoying her stroll, listening to the talk. Still wanting to find a couple more. Uh, who has a second one? Who has another note? Yes, please. You have been chosen and set apart. You have been chosen and set apart. That's a good one. I like that one. Next. You are precious. That's a good note, too. The little notes seem to be better than the big notes. Yes. You, no, say that, that can't be right. That, that's probably not. Yeah. Say that again. What does that one say? You are allowed to make mistakes. Weird. <laughs> okay. I have another one, too. Oh, you got two? Then Chelsea doesn't have to come back. I want you to know peace. I want you to know peace. Wow. Very nice. Very nice. What else? Mine says Paul was here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And here's your chocolate bar for getting the right one. <laughs> it says, you are not forgotten. You are not forgotten. That's a huge fear of many, many people. I've just been forgotten. I've been forsaken. No one cares. You are not forgotten. Is there any more that were found? Yes, please. I know your journey to peace again. 
I know you're hurting. You can be whole again. You are more than what you do. Wow. Those are good notes. I like those notes. Any more? Fear not, for I am with you. Fear not, for I am with you. Any more? Is that all the ones that were found? Um... Did someone say you're allowed to make mistakes? Mm-hmm. There it is. You have been chosen and set apart. You are pre- it looks like we're only missing one. Does that sound right? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. That's around here somewhere. Someone's got to find that one. So here's my question. How many of you just pay attention to the statement, you are precious. You would like to hear that. You would like to know that in your life. If you would like that note, I actually want you to raise your hand and whoever has that note is going to deliver it to you. Who wants to take that note home with them so they can stick it up on their mirror? We got one right here. Who has that note? Who's been willing to give up? Would you take that to her, please? Raise your hand again. I want you to have that. Because of all the messages that are always surrounding us all the time, we had this one over here. God doesn't care. That's what you landed, right? And you want to believe you are precious. I want you to hear that too. With all of my heart. With all of my heart. You can take this, and you can do whatever you want with that. Oops, you got it? Sorry. You can, you can do whatever you want with that. I don't suggest hanging it up. <laughs> Sticky note, hang that somewhere. You have been chosen and set apart. Who has that one? Who would like to know that? Who, if hearing that, would say, man, I crave to hear that. How many of you, there we go, very nice, perfect. You are allowed to make mistakes. We might have people fighting over this one. Who wants to hear, hand in the back, really fast, well done, you got to be fast. You are allowed to make mistakes. Nice. You can learn to be safe again. Who has that one? All right. Who would like to actually hear that and know that in their life? That you can learn to be safe. Right here? Jason, you got, do you mind delivering it? Thank you very, very much. All the way down in front. Very nice. I know you're hurting and you can be whole again. Oh, that was quick. Who has that one? Okay. Perfect. Right down here in front again. I know you're hurting and you can be whole again. Oh, perfect. You are not forgotten. Hannah. Who would be willing to deliver that one to Hannah? Thank you. 
Ben has this one. You're more than what you do. Your value isn't in what you do, performance-based. Your value is in who you are. Right back here. Ben, thank you so much, sir. Thank you so much. <laughs> Keep tearing it in half and just, yep, feed everybody with that note. Wow, that would be a really good series. That would be excellent. Um, I want you to know peace. Who had that one? Mary has that one. Who, is, who craves to know peace in their life? Who wants to see? Very nice. Very nice. Over here, Mary. Thank you. And did we find the fear not, for I am with you? Thank you. Kayla has that one. You want that one? Oh, we got two more? No? You don't have it. You have it. Kayla, you want it. There you go. Very nice. Very nice. Does anyone have the original note that they found? We probably handed all of them all off. I'm pretty sure we got that. And then we got one still floating around here. So if you really, really know, want to know that you're fearfully and wonderfully made, you've got to help clean up around here. Maybe you'll find it. This game would have been easier if I would have told you at the beginning that there are 10 notes, that there were 20 notes total, right? I kind of tricked Kayla there. I feel bad about that. I really, you know, not that much. Um, but when I pointed out there are more notes in the room, what did you see people start to do? They started looking. Did they look casually? Were they just strolling around with their hands in their pocket? Scouring. Yes, and we still didn't even find the last one somewhere. That will blame my daughter. She's the one who hid them, actually, so I don't know where they are. But you had to actually work for it. You had to, tr you had to, you had to scour for it. It didn't come naturally, and it didn't come easily. But the reality is, in this room, there's both negative messages, painful messages, which are probably easier to see, and then there's also truth, messages that are encouraging, messages that are transformative. I give out sticky notes all the time in my office. I got stacks and stacks of sticky notes, and my clients have them hanging in all sorts of weird places all over their apartments and houses and bathrooms and stuff like that because we have to keep the truth in front of us. We have to be able to see it on a regular basis. But our reticular activating system oftentimes says we can only see the negative things. Again, whether that comes from a ch past church experience or whether that comes from a childhood experience or whether that comes from uh, just a crappy experience. We have to keep looking and scouring for other truth. And sometimes people are going to come into your life and go, I know that you're hurting. I know you can only see the big notes, but there's more. There is more reality out there. Will you start looking? And sometimes you have to have help, okay? Jason found the first one. He didn't, you didn't, you gave it up, oh, right here. Who gave it, right here. Your name again? Alexis. Alexis, Alexis now takes that home with her, but you needed Jason's help to find that. And sometimes you've got to have the people around you to help you find that truth. Sometimes that's a counselor, sometimes it's a pastor, sometimes it's the person sitting next to you, sometimes it's your spouse. But you have to actually work for it. You have to find it. In this whole concept of why God, 
Why do the bad things happen? Why is these painful things happening? Why am I struggling? Why am I questioning? God, why are you letting this happen? I want you to have more than just an explanation of the bad. I want you to have an actual methodology of getting out of it, of actually finding hope again. And the number one tool I have to do that easily, the, my favorite tool across the board, is gratitude. The capacity to see beyond the pain. Because the pain's going to be shouting at you, but to find the truth and the encouraging points takes a little bit of extra work. And gratitude is what you use to make that happen. Now, gratitude, I actually find myself doing this sometimes, and I hear it from other people, which is, oh, that's it, I just got to be thankful? I thought there was more to it. Why do we try to make things so complicated? I love, there's a, a good hammer. It doesn't have very, very many moving parts, does it? It's a hammer. But a hammer in the hands of a craftsman can do remarkable work, and they last forever. I mean, there's hammers that are hundreds of years old, and they just keep whacking away on stuff. And so I want you to have a tool that is both simple and beautiful and elegant and tried and true, but produces some profound changes in your life. It is it's just it's, it's fantastic. It's wonderful. To be grateful for the good things that happen in our lives is easy, but to be grateful for all of our lives, the good as well as the bad, the moments of joy as well as the moments of sorrow, the successes as well as the failures, the rewards as well as the rejection, that requires hard spiritual work, scouring. Still, we are only grateful people when we can say thank you for all that has brought us to this present moment. As long as we keep dividing our lives between events and people we would like to remember and those we'd rather forget, we cannot claim the fullness of our being as a gift of God to be grateful for. Let's not be afraid to look at everything that has brought us to where we are now and trust that we will soon see it in the guiding hand of a loving God. Thank you, Lord, for all the wonderful things that I have. All these other things, Lord, why? Why did you give them to me? Don't you love me anymore? You don't love me anymore. I'm mad at you. It's easy to split our lives into two halves like that. And yet gratitude is the capacity to say, I don't understand yet. I don't like. I still trust. I'm still willing to accept. And I'm willing to say thank you even if I don't have true and full knowledge and understanding of what that is until three seconds after I'm dead. And then you go, oh, that's what that was about. I get it. Thank you very much. Now it's much clearer. Because I don't think we're going to have all the answers while we're here in this mortal world at the moment. Yes, sir. In the very back. Hold on a second. Thank you, Chelsea. See how that works. So the gratitude I completely believe in, yeah. um, kind of my own personal story is I had my, my son's mother call me and she says, hey, Gary needs braces, I need $500. And she goes, he needs school clothes, I need another 200 And then he wants a cell phone for his birthday. And my first instinct is like, I'm not made out of money. Yep. But if I take that and I switch it around is my son's going to have straight teeth, right? Yeah. And my son's going to go to school with clean clothes. Yep. And guess what? I yep. get to call my son because he'll have a cell phone, right? Yep. So. Yep. Very good. I like that. I like that. Gratitude in pain 
requires hard spiritual work. That's the quote we just heard. It is not easy. I'm not saying that it's simple. I am saying it is effective. I am saying it is transformative. And I'm saying that it takes practice. It is a skill that you can actually develop, just like playing basketball or knitting or driving or learning how to ride a motorcycle safely. We can learn how to do it. This, a lot of people believe this is true. Happy people are more grateful. Happy people, it's easy for them to be grateful. They're happy. The reality is, actually science has shown us this, that is completely and totally false. That's not how it actually works. Spin it around. Grateful people tend to be more happy. Their lives aren't actually better than the rest of ours. They have the capacity to shift their perspective and the story they tell about the experiences into a state of gratefulness. And their emotions follow. A lot of us go, well, I want, us to, I want to feel happy first, and then I'll be grateful. It doesn't go that way. You can't follow the feelings. The feelings follow the belief or the mentality or the thinking there. Like faith and hope, like faith and hope, trust cannot be self-generated. I cannot simply will myself to trust. What, it, what does lie within my power is paying attention to the faithfulness of Christ. I'm going to say that again. What does lie within my power, what I have the ability to do, is pay attention to the faithfulness of Christ. That's what I'm asked to do. Pay attention to Christ throughout my journey, remembering his kindness. That's a Brennan Manning quote, for those who are familiar with Brennan Manning. He says it this way, Gratitude is a better form of paying attention. Wonderful statement. That is just transformative. Because people who are going, well, I like this part of my life, but I don't like this part of my life over here, they're actually being selectively paying attention, right? Gratitude says, is, I, I will pay attention to everything, both the good and the bad. Paying attention. And when you do that, then trust develops secondarily, not primarily. I don't know where Chelsea is with the microphone, so there we go. Thank you. I'm going to push back a little bit here because... Thank you. <laughs> I love this. Um, I, I get that there is gratitude and you can be thankful for all the stuff that got you to where you are today um, in sort of this general sense. Yep. But when I think about specific instances of just pure pain and sorrow and brokenness, um, I, I feel like it would almost be dishonoring to be thankful for that. I, I can see how I can see God's redemption in that, but to be thankful almost makes me feel like you're saying that um, God made this horrible thing happen for a reason, so I should be thankful for it, as opposed to this horrible thing happened, but I trust that God can redeem that and ultimately will make it right in whatever way he does, right. which I don't necessarily understand how, how that might be. And so that's a, a trust issue, but I don't necessarily think that it 
I, I do think that there are details, right? There are details every day in our lives of things that happen that we can be thankful for, little signs that God is there and that he is paying attention and that he loves us very much. Um, but there are certain things that I don't know that I could ever be thankful for. I'm thankful that God has redeemed it, yeah. but I'm not necessarily thankful that it happened in the first place. Thank you so much for pushing back, by the way. I, I'm confident that you're probably not the only one in the room who's asking that question. And there's about nine different points in there I want to tag in all of that. And for time reason, I'm not going to, but I'll, I'll clarify a couple of them. I don't actually think we have to be thankful for the crappy experience, but I don't think we have to let the crappy experience be our only thing in our life. In the midst of a difficult experience, we can still say, yes, I actually don't like this, and I'm not thankful for this experience, but there are still other things in my life that I am thankful for. have nothing to do with this, in fact, but I can still keep my perspective broad. Does that make sense? So if my wife gets killed and hit by a bus... I'm not so sure I'm going to be going, hallelujah, thank you, Lord, for killing my wife. That actually would be dishonest to both my feelings as a human being, as a husband, as all those things. And, and I think it's appropriate to say I'm grieving, I'm sad, and I'm confused, and I'm hurt. And at the same time, I can go in the midst of my hurt, in the midst of my sorrow, I can still be thankful for there's a dozen things around me that are still worthy of being aware of. That makes sense? So I'm not saying be dishonest with our feelings or even dishonest with the experience. I am saying don't let the experience blind us and let that be all-encompassing. That's where I would go with some of this. And there's probably two or three other things I'd want to tag in that. But again, I really appreciate your, your question in that because that's a really honest and human question. I'm going to take the microphone real fast and then we're going to... Finally, uh, this isn't totally on this form, but you were talking about our RAS, right? You know, reticular, reticular activating system, uh, activation system, and I, I've always wanted to know what does it mean to reticulate. I have no idea, but I took the microphone away from him so we can't ask him more questions. I don't know why it's called that. Uh, again, someone else asked about the pons, which is a chunk of the brain, and how that, I, I'm not a neuroscientist at all, so I'm going to actually avoid some of that. Um, I know what articulating is. Reticulating? I have no idea. <laughs> it's just called the RAS. I, I'm going to, hold on a second. Um, in addressing your question, though, how do we remain grateful in the midst of really difficult situations? How do we in the midst of it. Again, it's easy to step aside and go, at the end of this, I can see how it was redeemed. I can be thankful for something five years ago, two years ago, last week. But in the midst of it and in the pain of it, um, sometimes that's harder to do, right? Um, instead of me asking this, answering all these questions, um, I thought I would actually let you hear from two people that I know have spent some significant time working on gratitude in their life and it was a new concept for them and then they they worked diligently at practicing this and they're they can give you a clearer story of what that looked like one of them is in the room and one of them is going to be in a video here this is terry terry would you mind joining me up here 
She um, has been kind enough to, to kind of give me some details. You can sit or you can stand. You can do whatever you want. Um, how about I jump in with the first question? Would that be okay? Sure. Got it. Um, what were the initial thoughts when you first heard about doing a gratitude journal, exercise, all of that? Um, well, I don't actually remember having anyone um, suggest gratitude in my life. Um, I had that overall, like, as a Christian, you know, you're supposed to be grateful. And um, so I thought I was, but I wasn't really. I guess... Um, I had that proper Christian response of, of course, I'm grateful that this is happening or whatever. I don't, I don't know if it was proper, but that's what I thought was right. And um, maybe I'll try to sit. I don't know if that's going to work. But um, I, um, okay, I'm going to sort of start over. So I don't remember anyone prompting me about it, but I was going through just some really hard things in my life, and um, I didn't really want to be alive. I didn't want to take my life, but I was like, okay, God, could I just get hit by a semi today? Or, you know, lots of different ideas that I had um, that God never actually followed through on for me. But um, at one point, I just remember... I really wanted to give up, and God reminded me of someone. Um, a friend of mine had been po posting on Facebook a lot about her daughter who um, was in kidney failure. And she actually had two kids who, at a young age, had kidney transplants. Out of her three kids, two of them had the same genetic disorder. and. Um, the oldest, who was now, I don't know, a senior in high school or so, maybe older, um, was in kidney failure and full-blown and needing dialysis five times a week. And anyhow, all of a sudden it just clicked um, that even though I was having a really hard time in my life, I actually had something to be thankful for. I, I actually could be grateful because I have two kids who have been healthy all their lives um, so far. And, you know, we had a broken arm here and there, but for the most part, they were very healthy. And it just hit me that I could be grateful. And that's when um, Paul actually suggested that I write about it and that I blog about it. And um, I don't think it was really a very hard thing to do mm. because um, I had realized that that was um, something I needed to do in order to get out of the pit I was in. What have you seen as a result of being intentionally grateful, not just passively grateful? Um, <clears throat> as a result... That's not in the order of the questions <laughs> that you gave me, just so you know. Can we jump around? <laughs> sure, okay. I can do that. Um, the impact that it's had on my life, is sure. that what you're asking? that's the one. 
So um, I have a much calmer heart. I don't worry about things. I still do, but not nearly as much. Um, I can step back from situations now, and I can just go, okay, this is what's happening, and I might not like it, um, but I have a lot of things I can be grateful for. Calmer heart. Is it easy to still stay in that grateful mentality, or do you find resistance to that at times, or at times you slip back into a yes. not so grateful? Definitely. Um, it's it, also out of order. Yes, Sorry. that's okay. Um, I, I think it depends on where I'm at in life. Um, just certain circumstances might make it harder to find gratitude. Yeah. And... Um, I kind of get out of the habit, and you were saying it takes, I don't, I don't know what word you used, but it, it takes work. Um, I, I have, well, just recently I heard the quote, a quote that was, um, everything worthwhile is uphill. Yeah. And that's, it's so true. I mean, it's an uphill struggle at times. Sometimes it's easier, but to find gratitude in my life. What was the medium or method you used to, <laughs> to practice gratitude? I used lots of different methods. Um, it started out, I started out just before I would even get out of bed. I wanted to wake up grateful. And so before I would even get out of bed, I would just lay there and um, just go, okay, my life sucks. What do I have to be thankful for? And um, if it was raining and cold and windy outside, I would go, I have a roof over my head and I'm warm. Yeah. Um, if I saw someone walking in the rain or in the hot sun or whatever, I'd be like, I have this car and it has heat or it has air conditioning and it gets me from place to place and I have that to be grateful for. Yeah. Um, so it started out with just intentional before I get out of bed. Um, and then it moved, it's moved into lots of different things. I have a list of things that I do. Do you want me to list them yeah. or tell them? Yeah. Okay. So um, I like walking a lot and hiking. And so I, I just started, I, I started finding gratitude with all of my senses. Hmm. And um, so um, a gratitude walk for me would be if I'm, I mean, I can go on a walk and not intentionally look for reasons to be grateful. But um, so one thing I'll do is just go along and try to just really notice things. And um, so maybe whatever I see. So notice the colors of flowers. Um, I mean, I was grateful for dandelions once. I don't probably more than once, but I don't know. That was a little weird, but, <laughs> um, anyhow, so. I just heard another dandelion story earlier today. How about that? I like that. I guess it was meant to be for me to say that. <clears throat> anyhow, um, smells, just, just taking the time to smell roses. I mean, that's cliche, but taking the time to, to just think about, oh, what is that that I, What's that smell like? 
fresh mown grass or baking bread. Every time I come here and the Fran's bread is baking, it's like, oh, you know, I love fresh bread or whatever. So um, uh, touch, try to, try to think about um, like petting my soft dog or just different whatever and yeah. really appreciating it <clears throat> when uh, maybe, maybe I see a plant that I really like the way it looks and I'll, I'll just go up to it and touch it and just, just like observe God's creation. <laughs> um, what other senses did I not get to? Anyway, listening. Oh my goodness. So I didn't used to hear birds. Hmm. I hear birds all the time now. And I love it. It's one of my favorite things is just listening to birds and listening to water trickling and just like letting it, um, I don't know, I don't know how to explain it, but just letting it really sink in to my being. Yeah. Did you just notice, is it self-talk in your head or did it ever end up in written form? Did it ever end up in journal form? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, I I try to, one of the things that I like doing is having, um, like, a gratitude buddy or something. And um, I've with several different people, actually, I have, like, we just decide to list X number of things a day. So maybe 10 things a day, and we'll e- email back and forth. And that's really encouraging for me to get those emails. And I am pretty sure it's encouraging to them as well. It's nice to even just kind of know what they're going through. And also, um, like, they might just write, I'm having a really hard time coming up with something to be grateful for today. And um, so that's one way. Another way is I have a gratitude journal that um, I just try to list. I try to list three to ten things a day. And sometimes that turns into a big journal entry, and sometimes it's just I list three things because I can't really find much. Um, Another thing I love to do is take pictures um, of things and just of moments that, oh, I want to remember this, and I'm really grateful for it. And um, I also love to, with those pictures, I I have an app on my phone called Time Hop, and so I love it because it'll bring back those, um, those memories from a year ago and two years and three years and so on. So it's like, oh, yeah, I remember when that happened. And, and I loved that I really noticed it, and, um, and I'm still grateful for that. Yeah. Or also, I also like to take the pictures and make a collage just with, like, pic collage or whatever app on my phone and um, make, a, make a collage of different things. And then I have an album in my phone that just is, I don't know, gratitude. Lots of ways. Collage, or I don't know what it's wow. called, but anyhow. Um, another thing that I do is, that I think is really important to do, um, I just, like today, I was kind of nervous, and I just sat outside and just relax, kind of like some of the exercises you have us start with sometimes, not so much this time, but in the past, just like relaxing and just um, listening and feeling the sunshine on my face and um, just being, and that, it just, gratitude kind of comes out of that. Very nice. Anyone have any questions for Terry and her experience and her practice or anything specific around that? Would you recommend it for people to try? I would definitely recommend it for people to try. It's hard. 
but it's worth it. And I, I think the thing I really want to say is I, I have a friend who, in fact, today she commented on something that I posted about if everyone could just understand how important gratitude is and everything would be great. And I was like, you know what? It's just not that easy. Mm-mm. It's really hard. And some days you just have to go, well, some days you, at least I do, I want to just like get down on the floor and throw a fit like a three-year-old and be like, no, God, I don't want to be grateful today. I want to wallow in my sorrows. And um, that's when I still try to make myself find something to be grateful for. But it's, it's not easy. But if you can develop the discipline, it's worth it. Question. What do I do when I should be grateful for something, but I don't feel grateful? Um, I just look for other things that I can be grateful for. And I don't, I have learned from someone to not should on myself too much. And so um, I try really hard to just not expect myself to do something that I'm not able to do yet. And maybe I'll come around. One thing you can do as well is our bodies like honesty and congruency. So if you tell yourself, well, it always goes back to food for me. Um, I like chocolate cake. Day-old chocolate cake with vanilla ice cream. Perfect. But trying to eat healthy, I can't have it every day. So walking into the kitchen and going, I don't like chocolate cake. My body's going to go, liar, liar, pants on fire, it's going to know that I'm not being honest. So instead, being congruent would be, I like chocolate cake, but I know that I'm not supposed to have it. I just, I speak that honestly. So something is, I want to be thankful for this, but I'm having a hard time feeling that. Your body's going to go, oh, that's okay. And it's okay to want something and not be there yet. And that removes the shooting on yourself and still is congruent and honest within yourself. So I want to eat healthy. I want to, I want to, I want to. And then here's the things I am thankful for, these other things that I can be, I can be genuinely connected to and appreciative of, and it puts your body into a much more receptive and honest state. Again, don't lie to yourself, but you can always amend it just a little bit and be able to tweak that. Any other questions for Terry real fast, and I'm going to jump into one other kind of presentation around this. Sure. That's nice. 
Yeah. 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 Thanks, Mary. Thanks, Terry. Appreciate you telling your story. The other story that I have that is probably closer to home for me is um, my wife. I talk about her a lot in here. She actually was willing. She couldn't make it tonight, or else I would have made her tell the story live. But instead, she actually shot a video, and I edited it down really, really fast so that you can actually hear from her own words what she did with some of this. Can I show that real fast? That was Terry. This is Shannon. That's my wife, Shannon. This is her. I really struggle with um, depression. I guess during the winter time, the, the winter weather really, really gets me in doing um, a gratitude journal and writing things down that you are thankful for that would help change your thoughts, just to pull you kind of out of whatever you were going in. And so I decided, all right, it can't hurt to, to try. I decided that I was going to write um, 10 things a day that I was thankful for, but I was so worried that I wouldn't be able to come up with 10, first of all. And second of all, after about four or five days, I would be all done with everything that I could be thankful for. There would be nothing else to be thankful for. I was afraid I was gonna run out of things to be thankful for. And I decided that I would do it first thing in the morning. I think so that I could um, start my day thankful with gratitude. I thought about doing it before I could, went to bed so that I could think about all the things through the day that I was thankful for. But I decided I would rather be preemptive in my thankfulness and think of things that were possibilities for thankful things for the day. First, at least week or maybe even two or three or four, it was, um, it, it took me a long time to come up with things that I was thankful for. And I started out with things like, I'm thankful for my um, neon yellow socks. I'm thankful for the sunshine that makes me feel warm. I'm thankful for this fire pit that I'm sitting right in front of. Things that were very tangible that I could come up with very easily. And a lot of times they weren't things that I actually, I, I knew that I was thankful for them, but I didn't actually feel them, feel thankful for them. And I hit a point where I was like, man, I just really want to find things that, that sink deep in that I, that I really genuinely am. Now, don't get me wrong, I love neon colors, so I was very thankful for my neon colors, but I wanted something that was more substantial, I guess, maybe deeper things. And as I started doing it, I, I found out that I could actually write 10 or sometimes even more, and I'm a little competitive too, so, and I think I was up to like 1,400 or something like that. I wasn't noticing the neg negative stuff as much as I noticed all the positive things around me. Um, and when I feel like I'm starting to struggle or sink back down, I just pull my journal back out and I just write and I write. And it just, I think after you've done it for so long, um, even if you take a break and you, and you start up again, it brings those things back very quickly and brings you back up to a positive place. So I tell everybody that they should do it. It doesn't take long to even write one or two things or say them out loud. You would text me things you're thankful for, and I would text you I was thankful for. What was that like? When we were oh, I together? loved that. It was so much fun. And when we would do that, it would remind me of other things that I was thankful for. People noticed a difference with me, but I had a lot of people just say, man, I just appreciate that. It helps me remember to be thankful for things. I realized 
that the world was a lot bigger. Maybe the world wasn't bigger, maybe my space opened up a little bit. I wasn't so closed off and I was seeing things that probably were around me the whole time that I just didn't notice because um, I think when you have, when you are more focused on the negative things and kind of caught in that pit or that cloud, it's hard to see all the things, all the exciting things that are there, all the, just everything that's there. Does that make sense? <laughs> that's my bride. She's not a little competitive, she's a lot competitive. A lot competitive. She, um, I actually was gonna bring her journal, I just walked out of the house without it. I think she passed 2,500. Um, and that was in just a couple months span. And she, I can remember when she started this, I, I don't, I'm gonna run out of things after two days. And she found the rhythm and she got into it. But there's a couple themes that you heard both here and, and in Terry's story. Thankfulness is actually a very somatic experience. It starts with concrete, tangible things. Things you can see, things you can feel, things you can experience. And then it moves into more of the esoteric kinds of conceptual things of struggles or pains or, or things like that. So um, don't overcomplicate it. Get started in some tangible way. In fact, I wanted to make it possible for you to get started and not just take notes and go home and go, well, that was a great time. What's on Netflix tonight? I actually want you to be able to do something and, and walk away with something that you can put into practice and application right now. Um, I bought a whole pile of sticky notes, 18 notepads here. 18 of you, you can come up and you can take a sticky note, take a whole pad of sticky notes, and I would suggest one, two, five, however many you can in a day, and you write it down just like the notes that were hidden around here. You might need to stick one on the rear view mirror of your car. You might need to stick one in your bathroom mirror. You might need to stick one on the coffee maker. You might need to stick one on the TV remote. You might need to stick one somewhere where your spouse can see it because they haven't felt any gratitude from you for a long time. And if you can spin this and go, I'm going to take this entire notepad and make sure that I'm expressing gratitude for them in some way. Or I'm going to express gratitude. I actually had another client who um, did this with her coworkers because her, toxic, her, her work situation was incredibly toxic. And I gave her one of my notepads and the assignment was to take it and to, to leave notes for just the things that she was grateful for around the office. And people that were that were almost like sworn enemies in the workplace. When she started doing this, and believe me, she didn't want to. She didn't want to at all. And when she just said, you know, thanks for getting the chart notes, or thanks for doing this, or thanks for doing that, the entire atmosphere in the office changed because one 50-cent pad of sticky notes it's as close to a magic bullet as I can give you. And again, it's not easy at first. It takes discipline. The emotions aren't there first. The behavior shows up first. So if you actually want to put this into practice, if you want a real, tangible way to address the why God question, to address the I'm hurting and I'm struggling and I don't know what to do and I need help and I need direction, start here. And then what I'm going to do is, if you take one of these, okay, take them, 
I'd like you to come back next week and say, here's what happened for just one week of, of 50 cents worth of sticky notes. I wrote them down and I stuck them on places. They might be for you. They might be for someone else. Again, you know what it's about. Now, you might take this and go, sweet, I don't have to buy office supplies for my office right now. Okay, I'm not going to know. I'm not, you don't have to bother me. But I'd like you to use it for thankfulness kind of thing. That would be great. If there's more than 18 of you, i got 18 pads here. If there's more than 18 of you that want this, whoever takes one, Take the top half of them off and give them to someone else. And buy your own stinking sticky notes, okay? These aren't magic. They, they're just from Office Depot, so they'll, they, but they work. They're remarkable how good they work. So if you want these, these are going to be up here available for you to come take. Come take them freely. If there's someone in here who says, I know they need, a, I need gratefulness in their life, take it and give it to them and say, here, you got to do this. Maybe. That might not work so good. You can shoot on them. That might work really good, too. Make them, you should be grateful. Here's some sticky notes. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like more information, please visit paulelmore.com.